Welcome to the Real Talk 238 podcast with your host, Denise Lee, an Associate Licensed Counselor and Nationally Board Certified Counselor in the state of Alabama under the supervision of Cotina Stroud. The Real Talk 238 podcast has real conversations concerning taboo topics, which people may find themselves struggling with that may not be discussed, especially in relation to the church. The purpose of the Real Talk 238 podcast is to bring awareness, hope, and encouragement. Having these conversations will shed light on the truth and break the lie of being the only one, being stuck, isolated, and alone because there is someone else who has gone through something similar. Topics discussed on the Real Talk 238 podcast are not a substitute nor does it replace professional medical, psychiatric, psychological, or mental health advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and is intended strictly for informational and educational purposes only. All right, let's get started. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. I want to first apologize because I have not released any recent episodes. My life's been a little bit hectic, but I do have interviews lined up, so it's not done. It's not over with. This isn't the end of it. I am taking a class or I'm actually working on a second master's degree, for those of you who did not know. And so I was finishing up a semester. And then right after that, I immediately had to get ready for a speaking engagement at Stanford University, speaking to the nurse practitioners who are in their residency about speaking on trauma-informed care. So that had me tied up for a good bit. And then this past weekend, let's see, I did that two Fridays ago. Yes, the 14th of May, 2021. And then this past weekend, uh, May 22nd and 23rd, I was in Manning, South Carolina, speaking to the ARC Church of Manning, the Apostolic Revival Center of Manning, South Carolina, under the, the pastors of the church, Wesley and Selena Gleason my good friends, on trauma-informed care. And then the next day I, I ministered to their church about the ministry of Judas. It was a wonderful time. So I came home on Monday, which was yesterday, and I finally had a chance to catch some sleep. So again, I apologize. I hope you enjoy this interview that I have with Laura Butler. I believe it will bless you. Have a wonderful day and enjoy this episode. Hey everyone, welcome to today's podcast of the Real Talk 238. Today I'm really excited about my guest. Her name is Laura Butler. She's from Kennett, Missouri, and she is a business admin. She does not have any pets, and she attends Kennett First UPC in Kennett, Missouri, and she's been in the church for 22 years. She's also a licensed minister with the UPC, and she goes wherever God calls her and where she's needed. She describes herself as one busy single mama. And fun fact about Laura is that she loves to love and she loves to laugh. Thank you, Laura, for coming on the podcast today. How are you? I'm doing good. You're doing good. Is there anything that you would like to add to the podcast? 
whatever you want me to share today. I'm eager to share it. <laughs> That's dangerous. You know that, right? I know. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing, of course. All right. So today I asked Laura to come on the podcast because she has a story that I was, I'd kind of been following you actually for a little bit. And I did not realize at first what was going on, but you are what I would consider a young widow. You were married. How long were you married for? 13 years. 13 years. And then your husband passed away. Why don't we start there? Like, how did you guys meet? Well, we met at church. I just came back from Bible college and we visited the Magruder's church. We were so excited to go to the Magruder's church, my old youth pastors that got me into church and we visited and then there was this drummer and he said that he noticed me walking from the back of the church and all the way up till the day the Lord took him. He could tell you exactly what I was wearing the first night he saw me. Do you remember what he would have said? Oh, yeah. He says, I'll never forget. You walked in the back door, walked across the church, came towards the front to the third row on the left side. He, he knew exactly where I was sitting. You had a gray suit on and diamond heels with these little butterflies. Yeah, he'd went, he would go through details. He remembered. I should say. Yeah, he was a fireman. So this is so funny how he got my phone number. Bishop Magruder called him into the office with another friend. And he said, guys, there are two single ladies out there. I don't know why you didn't get their phone number yet. Chris came to me and he said, Laura, there was an accident last night. And it the description of your car, he said, can I have your phone number so I can just make sure you get home safe? Well, I fell for that and I gave him my phone number. He calls me, long story short, we were on the phone until my alarm went off for me to go to work the next day. And we we were inseparable ever since. We met, dated, engaged, and married in nine months. Nine months, okay. And we were married for 13 years. Yes. All right. Yes. So he was married for 13 years. What did he pass away from? In 2010, we married in 2004. So 2010, he was diagnosed with colon rectal cancer. Stage four, actually. We were in Jonesboro, Arkansas. The doctors didn't give him but just a few months to live and told him that he needed to go home and get his affairs in order. So when we first went to the doctor, they told Chris that it was I forgot what disease. They said, you know what? We're going to test you for colon cancer, but you are really young. At this time, he was 29 years old. Oh, wow. They said, there's no way that you could have colon cancer at this age. It's probably Crohn's disease. So we're going to go ahead and check your colon just in case. Well, they called us back immediately and they said, you have colon rectal cancer stage four. Go home, get your affairs in order, spend as much time with your family as you can. There's nothing we can do. So we gone home. It was like a deer in headlights. We were in total shock. I was not expecting that information. He wasn't either. A friend called us and referred us to St. Louis. So we, we started praying, of course. We went to St. Louis, and that starts our seven-year journey of fighting cancer. We fought cancer for seven years. I was in college. We had our little boy. I believe he was two years old at the time. And actually... Because he was wrestling with his dad and jumped on his dad's stomach. That's why his dad went to the doctor because it put him in so much pain 
from Dawson jumping on his stomach that he had to go get it checked out. And that's how he found it. It was a long, long journey. It's a journey that, you know, you always pray for things. We pray to see miracles. Yeah. But we never imagined that God would put us in the spot that we're experiencing the miracles in order to see them. I have learned to be very careful what I pray, how I pray for, and what I say. In that seven-year journey of cancer, we had a, we've had dreams. You know, everyone has dreams when they get married. Yeah. You want a family. We were buying, we bought our first home together. His career was taken off. He was in paramedic school. He was a fireman. I was in school to get my degree in psychology and counseling. And so we're both going to school, working towards degrees and raising our family. And then I became the youth pastor. He was the drummer at the church. Things were going great for us. And then here comes the storm clouds rolling in. And we found out he had cancer probably within two years, checking account, savings account, 401ks, everything was drained. Because he just switched jobs, so his new insurance wouldn't cover the can't cover the treatments because it was pre-existing. Yeah. So one treatment was like twenty thousand dollars. So we had to drain all of our accounts. You, we had to go from living a comfortable life to completely trusting God. People say, "Do you trust God?" We trusted God on everything. God just started providing. We traveled three hours one way to the doctor weekly. Sometimes he would stay in the hospital for a month. God supplied. We were asked to do a commercial for the place that we stayed at and us doing that commercial for them paid for the rest of our stay for however many years we wanted to stay there for free. Oh, wow. So God provided for that. There's so many lessons that we learned, but the ones that really stick out to me We had to sell our house. We lost our house. We had to go down in our cars. We had to sell the cars that we had and go to cheaper ones. It really turned our life upside down here on earth, but it opened our eyes spiritually and it drew us closer to God than ever before. I remember one miracle that we had seen was when Chris went back to work. He loved his job. He loved to help people and save lives. So he just finished treatment. We thought we were going to go into remission. We were getting excited. We were waiting for him to go for his checkup. So he was, he was on the ambulance taking a patient to St. Louis and Dawson. Wait, wait, wait. He he was in remission. We, he fought the cancer, all the cancer cells in his body were gone. So we had to wait for three months for another checkup for they would actually consider him remission. Okay. This was maybe two years into fighting the cancer. So within those three months, he went back to work. He, he would work as much as he could. Even when he was fighting cancer, the man worked. He would not stay home. So he was on the ambulance going to St. Louis. Dawson came in. He said, Mom, I'm hungry. He was four. And I said, well, go back to your room. I'll let you know when supper's done. I went in the kitchen. There was nothing in the refrigerator but a tub of butter. So I'm like, okay, I'll make him some toast. I went to the cabinet. There was no bread, no canned food. There was nothing. And I remember sitting at my table, Bishop Magruder said that he testified once he didn't have anything and he was trying to raise children on his own. So he said, God, you're no respecters of person. If you can do it for this person, you can do it for me. And he asked God to provide the need. 
So I'm sitting there at my table crying because I had nothing to feed my child. And I said, God, if you can do it for Bishop Magruder, you're no respecter of person. I know that you can supply my need. Your word says that we will not be begging for bread. Right about that time, my doorbell rings. Here comes my son. Mom, someone's at the door. I'm cleaning my face up because, I mean, it's red. And I was having my crying party. Went to the front door, opened it. Nobody was there. But what was there was my whole porch was full of Walmart sacks of groceries. I looked everywhere. There was nobody inside. I took it in and I was excited to have groceries, but I was more excited that God answered that prayer like that. Yes. God already knew my need before I even knew I had a need. Yes. And he already has someone at the store buying those groceries while I'm sitting at the table crying out to him. And that's where my first my first encounter with God is as far as increasing my faith and my trust in him. Sometimes we have to be put in situations for God to really open our eyes to how to trust and how to lean on him. Right. You know, that old song, the Magruder saying, I lean on you, Lord. I've been listening to that song lately. We lean on something in life. You're leaning on your pocketbook or you're leaning on your doctor or you're leaning on God or friendships or your pastor too much. And I've learned to really lean on the Lord more than any of those others. Not only that did they deliver the groceries, but God cares so much about us. My son is a picky eater. Mm -hmm. It was down to the name brand foods that only he would eat that was in those bags. <laughs> so that's how much God cares about us. Yes. He cares that much about us. Chris could not go back in remission. Cancer came back and it came back stronger. This time it went from colon rectal to spreading into his liver. So we started fighting that. We spent an entire summer in St. Louis. It was very trying and very difficult very hard for us. And I started praying and this is where I felt like the Lord. I said, God, I need, I really needed him to help me. I'm a fixer. So when there's a problem, I want it fixed. I'm a planner. I want to know what what's coming tomorrow so I can plan for it and follow through my plans. Well, it doesn't work that way with God. When you trust God, you have to trust him, not knowing that next step you take. You can't see where it's leading you. You just have to take that step anyways. Yes. We could not see our future. We did not know what the next day was going to hold, but we had to move forward trusting that no matter what, God is going to be our strong foundation underneath us. Yes. Our finances, that wasn't a strong foundation. It, it was ripped out from underneath us, but God was our rock. He was underneath that. So he held us up. I won't forget this. The next miracle that God performed, Chris actually died in the hospital. I was sick. I couldn't go into the, the ER with him where, or Memphis, or sorry, Memphis, St. Louis, where he had his surgery. They had to take part of his liver. So I wasn't in the room. I always want to be in the room with them to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to do with Chris. Yes. And he's taken care of. Well, I had the flu. So I had to stay back at the room where we were staying at. And I was so sick. It was Thanksgiving. I was extremely lonely. Holidays come around. You're with family. You're with loved ones. And I have nobody there. I couldn't even get up. I couldn't order food. I couldn't get any food. Well, then I got the call. And it was Chris, very weak. And he told me what happened. They lost him and was doing a sternal rub because the doctors misread, I guess, his file or something. He, he didn't have a colon. They had to take his colon and give him a bag until they did the reverse surgery. And so they gave them some meds that they shouldn't have given them. It messed, I don't know exactly what it did to them, but they had to do a sternal rub. They were losing them. 
in the hospital. They got him back, put him on fluids and IVs. I said, Chris, I was laying here in bed. I was lonely and I was having a pity party because of our situation that we're in. Lord, why, why are we here? We ask God, you know, when you're, when you're in darkness, you ask God, did I, did I do something to deserve this Lord? Right. Am I on the wrong path? I started questioning everything. Yeah. And then I'll never forget. I heard a message once and I can't even remember who preached it. And it was brought to my attention while I was in bed questioning, asking God, why am I here? You know, that message talking back to Adam and Eve in the garden, the enemy came to her in her weakest moment and made her question. God was right before she had her big fall. I was like, God, I'm sorry. The serpent makes you question. If you see a question mark, you know, how it turns. That's just like the serpent. I don't want to question God. So I started thanking him that Chris is in good hands, thanking him that he's brought Chris this far. I still had Chris just thanking him for everything. And then that's when Chris said, you know what? He goes, I'm good. I'm fine. I don't want you worrying. So God saved Chris's life that day. The doctors would keep, they said, you're a miracle, Chris. You're a miracle, Chris. So through our journey, they're going to, they end up calling Chris, you're a miracle times three. Because he faced other deaths before that, that we lost them and, and God gave them back to us. But the next miracle was I had a lady come to me and said that, that Chris is going to pass, not because of cancer, but because of a nurse's mistake. Well, this put me on high alert. Yeah, yeah. So we were at Sightman Cancer Center in St. Louis. And Chris is like, Laura, can you run real quick out to the car? He forgot something and he wanted it. And the nurse was coming to him to get ready to give him his chemo. I ran out to the car and I ran back in real quick because those words were, they stuck with me. And so when I went back into the, the area they were giving chemo, the nurse was crying. I know what was going on. There was another Christopher Butler with the exact same birth date as my husband, different cancers. Oh my goodness. So she was about to inject him with a chemo treatment. For the other Christopher Butler. Oh my goodness. You know what? That makes me think of a time, and it can happen. Mistakes like that can happen. Yes. I remember getting a prescription filled, and the prescription, I went to go pick up my medicine, and I got home, and I got to looking at the medicine. It was for something I don't even take. It was a person who this prescription was for was the person that was had the same name as me, we both had the same birthday, but the thing of it was she had different color hair than me. That is scary. She went to inject it and the other nurse came around that's normally his nurse, but she was helping out and she had Chris's treatment to inject. And she's like, stop, wait. And that nurse started crying. She goes, you don't understand if I would have injected this in you, we wouldn't have been able to do nothing. It would have just been a matter of seconds. You would have been gone. It would have killed him immediately. Oh, man. The lady came back and she said, God told me that he has heard the prayer of the people and he has extended Chris's life. So we've gone from just a couple of months to a couple of years. What was supposed to take Chris out, God, God prevented that from happening. And God's given me more years and, and more years for Dawson because I wanted Dawson to remember his dad. I know if Chris would have left us when Dawson was two, he wouldn't have remembered his dad. I lost my dad when I was nine. I can remember things with my dad. So I remember after that, I, I really trusted the Lord with everything. I really did. I started praying every year, God, give me a word for the coming year, because you know what this year is going to hold. Give me something to hold on to that's going to get me through the year. Fast forwarding to through those years, 
we would find checks in the mail that provided our needs. I mean, God just blessed us. Doctor's bills written off, doctor bills paid. I mean, he just provided for us all the way through it, all the way through it. Now to fast forward to 2017, I switched jobs so I could be at home more with Chris. And when he needed to go to the doctor, I could be there to take him to the doctor. So I started selling life insurance because I knew how important that life insurance was for families to have. So while I was in Nebraska finishing my week of school to get those licenses, Chris had to go see the doctor. We got the news we didn't want to get. This was in April. He FaceTimed me and he said, Laura, I was told they're going to have to put me in hospice. There's no other treatments. There's nothing else they can do. He's gone through. I would really get really upset because I felt like they started using him as a lab rat pretty much. They were doing experimental things on him and Chris was willing to do it if it was going to help someone else and and buy him more time here. They done everything. Yeah, when he FaceTimed you that and said they want to start hospice with me, what were your thoughts? I have experienced so much miracles that God did for us. I was like, no, that's what the doctor said. That's not what God said, Chris. And he was high in faith too. He goes, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. And all the way through it, I knew that there was going to be this big miracle that God was going to give us. And we were going to go to the doctor and they were going to find any cancer in Chris's body. We were claiming scripture for by your stripes. I am healed. I believe in the power of prayer, my glory. The angels are covering my family. I haven't touched my glory. I I mean, I took scripture. I applied it to our lives. I prayed over him. We've seen God answer. I knew God was right there with us. So I just took it. And I said, he goes, I said, do you want me to come home? I'm going to come home right now. I'll get on the next flight. He goes, no. He goes, I believe that God put you on this path. You need to finish. I only had a couple of days left to finish. Oh, he goes, I want you to finish. Come home and we'll, we'll take the next step. I stayed there and I prayed and I just really trusted in the Lord. I don't know how any other way to explain it. It was like at that moment, I don't care what a doctor said. I wasn't going to believe a doctor because I was truly standing on the word of God. Going back, I have great pillars in my church and Sister Magruder the song that she sang, Stand on His Word. Yes. And I remember her testimony that when she was so weak that she couldn't pray, she stood on the Word of God. And Bishop found her literally standing on top of the Word of God. I just took that and I'm like, okay, God, this is the promises that you've given to me and Chris, and I'm going to stand on this Word. And he will be healed. I had faith as little as a mustard seed. We're taught that when we're young in the church. The word that God gave me for that year was endure. He sent me to Jeremiah and I'm like, no, I do not want this word. I don't, I don't give me another word, God. Cause I know what Jeremiah is known of. He's the weeping prophet. Yes. Why else would I need to be weeping unless there was a death in my family? And I was like, God, I don't, I don't want to accept this word. So in 2017, January, when I got my word and God sent me to the book of Jeremiah, I just kept fighting against it. And I pushed through, I came home from school, me and Chris pushed on. He has lost so much weight at this time. You wouldn't think that he would be my husband. You would think that I was, if you saw us from far off, that I was helping my grandfather in and out of a car into the church. He was very frail. He just was just skin pulled over bones is the only way I can describe it. I never lost hope. I still believe that God was going to heal him. 
he still played the drums in church. So I was like, okay, God, I accept this word. We're going to endure this. I'm going to cry through some battles, but you're going to heal Chris. We get to the church and I felt like God was telling me, surprise Chris with the inspiration. Have people come that inspire him and lift, you know, to lift him up. And so I had all of his friends come to the church, did this surprise inspiration for him in June, had everyone sing his favorite singers. And I remember weeks before I could see him looking at the drums and he was wanting to play the drums. I said, Chris, do you remember the story of Moses when he was in battle? And every time he lowered his arms, the enemy was winning. But when he had his arms lifted, they were winning. He needed help with Aaron and her. They lifted his arms while he did what he was supposed to do. I said, if you really want to play those drums, I will pray while you praise because that's his way of worship to God was those drums. Yes. I said, I'll stand back here and I'll keep praying. And you go up there and you praise God with all you have. God's going to give you the strength. He shuffled pretty much his feet to get to the platform, got on those drums, picked those sticks up and God gave him the power and the strength. You wouldn't even think that he was sick at all. He played those drums so good. Like he had all the strength in the world. So he gone from barely can walk into he's up there drumming fast songs, fast songs. And he was keeping up with Sister Shay on the piano. So God gave him that strength. And then I surprised him that Saturday with this inspiration. I could tell he was all yellow because of the cancer in his liver. He's turned completely yellow at this time. People were going up and they were telling him how he has impacted their life, how he has encouraged them because they sat and watched him stay godly, stay committed to God and keep the faith all these years as he's fighting. And they were encouraging him. And then he got up and he went up there and he played those drums again. Now I'm getting to a part that's going to be kind of emotional. He's been gone for almost four years now, but this part really gets me. God is so, so good. We bought a house or we were wanting to buy this house, remodeling it. And we just moved in. There was boxes everywhere. He was the neat freak in the family. I mean, I like things clean, but you would thought that Chris went to the military. He had his colognes lined up, his sock drawer, his socks had to be rolled tightly and in rows, perfect rows. I was trying to get this room in perfect order for him. I wanted it to be perfect. At this time, he couldn't hardly get around and he had to use a a potty chair and all that. I was feeding him and and helping him and keep him clean. You know, I was taking care of him. He didn't want a nurse to come in. He wanted me to be there. And hospice was coming to give him his meds because he had to have meds to heal, to take care of some of the pain. He wouldn't take all of them because he wanted to stay with us. He wanted to to be alert as much as possible to understand what was going on, to communicate with us. And I remember our son went to church camp. Chris was praying for him to get the Holy Ghost. He wanted his son to get the Holy Ghost. They called and Dawson got the Holy Ghost on that Wednesday night. And when Dawson called, this is when I noticed it. I said, Chris, we were laying in bed. I said, Dawson got the Holy Ghost. And he smiled really big. And I saw a tear come down his cheek. I said, you want to talk to him? And he was whispering. I was like, why is he whispering? And he was kind of in and kind of out. And he wasn't really focused on me. So it was like he was starting to slip. Yeah. And I was like, what's going on? I don't understand. I didn't understand hospice. He always protected me. I didn't even know that hospice gave us a book on things for me to to notice when the end was coming. Because he took that book and he hid it from me. He didn't want me to know. Yeah. He didn't want 
me to be upset. He, he always protected me, always. He was a wonderful husband, very good provider, very sweet, good with words. He was a firefighter, correct? Yes, he was a firefighter, EMT, and paramedic. So he had seen stuff like this. This He was very well aware. Yeah, he knew what was happening and he knew what was coming, but he was protecting me from it. We had a talk and he said, Laura, you know, I might, I may not make it this time. And I'm like, no, God's going to heal. I was refusing to hear any negative words of him not making it. I just knew that, that God was going to heal him. I was claiming it. I said, no, I said, I know God can heal you. That's when he told me, well, sometimes what we want is not what God wants. It's not God's will. And that's where I'm like, okay, what if God says no? What are we going to do? You know what I mean? What if God says no to this prayer? And still, I don't know if it was denial. I don't know if that's what I was going through. I just knew God could do it. I know he can. He's God. There's nothing that God can't do. Well, there's only one thing that he, can, he can't do, and that's lie. God can't lie. You know, he's not going to lie to us. But I knew something was wrong. I remember rolling over at night and putting my hand on his back just to see if he was still breathing. I just kept waking up. And I would roll over terrified that I was going to feel him cold in the middle of the night and he was going to be gone. It was very scary. The next morning I got up and I was like, okay, God, here's another day. Thank you for another day. Thank you for healing Chris. I just kept feeling it, seeing it, and thanking God. We had this big dog, Zoe, Great Pyrenees, Chris's dog. And she knows she's not supposed to be in the house. She stays outside. Well, she was trying to get, the neighbor had a pet pig and she was trying to get to the pet pig. And I knew if she did, she would eat that pig up. So I was like, Chris, I'm going to go outside, get Zoe from trying to dig underneath the fence. I opened the door and Zoe runs in the house. Chris had a rule in our 13 years of marriage. We were never to have a pet in the house. He was totally against pets in the house. Zoe snuck in. Zoe ran into the house. I'm like, he's never done that. And I was like, oh, he's going to have a fit. I got to get her out of the house. So I took off running after her. And I walk in the house, Zoe is sitting at the foot of the bed at Chris's end, just sitting there looking at him, sitting there. She's not running through the house acting crazy. She's a great Pyrenees. She's a big dog. And she's just sitting there. And I just stopped. And I'm like, I just had this feeling, you know, something's going on. And I've always been told our pets know when there's oh, something yeah. wrong. It was resting and she just sat there and was just looking at him. And then she just, she was laying down her, her paws were crossed and she had her little mouth laying down. She just laid there at, the, at his feet and the floor just laid there. I was like, Zoe, I'm whispering, get up, get out of there. So I went to try to pick her up and she's just huge dog. I'm literally dragging her through the house to get her out of the house before Chris realized that she was in there. And I go back in and I said, all right, Chris. I need to give you your medicine. You've got to eat. He wasn't eating or drinking. Well, I said, just eat a couple bites of Jello for me. And I need you to take your medicine. I said, we're going to get you to the restroom, which was right there in the chair by his bed. And I said, then I'm going to move you to the new room. It's unpacked. It's decorated. We had a friend, Brother Keith. He was real good buddies with Chris. He delivered a great hospital bed, a new oxygen tank, better one than what he had. The whole room was just set up perfect for him. It's going to be really comfortable for him. And I said, I'm going to move you. And he's like, in a whisper, he said, you can't move me. We always joke back and forth to each other. That's another thing that really carried us is we had sense of humor. Yes. We'll be like, that's 
that's not funny. And I'm like, you're not in our shoes. We have to laugh about some things, you know? I remember when he had his liver cut on, he woke up and I said, babe, they took your gallbladder and he's freaking out. And (laughs) he went, he fell back to sleep. And then he woke up. I said, they took your gallbladder and he fell back out. You could tell he woke up. And when he finally realized he thought they talk, took the wrong organ. They they didn't take the bad cancer, but they did take his gallbladder, but he only focused on the gallbladder part. So he's like, you had me thinking they took the wrong organ. They didn't take the part of the liver out. He started laughing. I started saying, liver me alone. You know, we would make jokes about stuff. Liver me alone. <laughs> yeah. And we would laugh and cut up and he'd play jokes on me. I play jokes on him. And we we made the best of what we were dealt with. So I went, I was making jokes. I said, Oh, Chris, have you seen these guns lately? And I flexed for them and started flexing. Like I was a muscle builder. I said, I can pick you up and carry you. He kind of chuckled a little bit, but I remember getting a little frustrated because he wouldn't take his medicine. And this is where I beat myself up. Sometimes I was so worried about him being in that perfect room, perfectly decorated, perfect bed, perfect everything that I wasn't really focused on his health at the time. I was just really denying that he has declined just in a couple of days. He went downhill so fast. I had to call and I said, Pastor, you really need to get Dawson home. It's bad. I don't know what tomorrow is going to hold or even tonight. I said, he's got to come home from camp right now. I went to pick up Chris to move him to this wheelchair that we had so I could get him to the other room. And when I picked him up, he completely collapsed on me. I knew I knew he died because I remember being told they'll lose all control of bowels and everything when they pass. Picked him up and I felt that on me. He went completely limp. There was nothing. So I, I gently laid him back across the bed and he started turning colors. I'm screaming, Chris. I felt for a pulse. There was no pulse. And I screamed, Jesus, not now, not like this. And I screamed, Chris, Chris. God, give them back to me. I called 911 and the woman's like, calm down. I said, my husband is not breathing. There's no pulse. I can't calm down. So I knew I was getting nowhere with her. I gave her the address and I just threw the phone aside and I just started praying. I said, God, just give me a little bit more time with him. I'm not prepared. I'm not ready. In Jesus name, I was just calling on him. And then all of a sudden he took a big, deep breath. And I said, Chris, you're back. And at this time, it seemed like he was gone forever. My house cops. I mean, he was friends with all the the EMTs, firemen, paramedic, police officers. My house was flooded with every one of his friends, co-workers. We had him across the bed. And then his best friend, mentor at work, he said, sis, he goes, "Um, I need you to come in here. And there was a piece of paper he goes I need you to sign this paper it's a DNR and I was like a what I didn't even know what a DNR was and he explained it to me I said no he's gonna be okay you know I'm, I'm still believing at this time God just gave me another miracle he just brought Chris back to life so I know if God gave him back to me that God's gonna heal him I kept telling myself God's gonna heal him and he said Laura me and Chris had this talk he said he didn't want to pass away in a hospital. He wants to be home with his family. He doesn't want you to resuscitate him. He doesn't want any of that. He wants you to sign this paper. And I said, okay, fine. I'll sign the paper because Chris wants me to. But in my mind, I'm thinking this is not necessary. I don't 
this is just going to be a part of our testimony. You know, I'm just going to testify of God's miracle and healing. I signed the paper. They all helped me transport him to the the other room. And they, they hooked him up. I cleaned him up and we're in the room. So for the next three days, he's in the room and he stops talking. He's no longer talking to us. He's just pretty much sleeping. He wants the Magruder's on repeat. So I played the Magruder's music on repeat. And you can see when one of his favorite songs on, he would have that foot moving back and forth to the beat of their song. So I know he was still listening and and enjoying that worship music. My mom had ordered me a chair to have it delivered. And I was sleeping in this recliner right beside his bed. I didn't leave. People were in our homes. I remember everybody was gone and I needed to bathe him. So I had the rag and I had to, I'm not a nurse. I never, I took care of a little lady by doing her fingernails and hair, but I never really took care of someone like this. So I had no idea what I was doing, but he didn't want a nurse. He wanted me to do it. And that's what the hospice nurse said. Chris said he only wanted you to take care of him and to do this. I remember crying because I was like, Chris, I can't do this. You know, I felt like I was hurting him. He wouldn't get the best care because I was ignorant, didn't know what I was doing. And I started crying. I said, I can't do this. I can't handle this no more. Chris just let me call a nurse. I can't do this. And he hasn't talked to me. I haven't heard his voice in days. And then he opened his eyes and he clear, strong voice. He says, you got this. You can do this. And that was it. He looked at me and he closed his eyes. And that was the last strong voice I heard Chris ever say to me, you can do this. You got this. I finished cleaning him up. And um, two days later, I haven't bathed. I haven't left his side. I've been in the same clothes. His mom came in to visit and they, his mom and dad was sitting in the room. I said, Sister Butler, do you mind if I leave and watch Chris really close? I would really like to just go freshen up and just change clothes and grab me a quick cup of coffee in the kitchen. I'll be right back. So I ran and freshened up a little bit. I was in the kitchen and from where where my coffee setup was, I could look into the crack of the bedroom door and see him laying there. And I was stirring the coffee and the entire atmosphere in my home, it changed. It's like everything got brighter and I felt such peace. I don't know how to explain it. And I knew right then I looked in there to Chris and I was like, surely not. So I walked in there, set the coffee in the floor. I didn't say a word to anybody. I just stayed quiet. I put my hands on his and I could tell he was still breathing. And I leaned into his ear and I said, because I told him before I left, I said, Chris, I'll be right back. I'm just going to go change real quick and grab me some coffee, sweetheart. I'll be right back. And I leaned in to his ear and I said, Chris, I'm back. And I said, I love you so much. And when I said that, he took a deep breath and then he just, he left. And I knew he was gone because it almost felt like I could just feel angels in that room all around. It just felt like heaven was in the house. the only way I can explain it. Almost like I can just feel like the angels came and ushered him away. Yes. There was, it was just so bright and I felt peace and I just felt all this love, almost like when you get so lost in the Holy Ghost and the power of God, that glory that you feel, I felt that consume me those few moments. And then I just laid there 
finally they said, Laura, we have to, we have to take Chris now. I didn't want him to go. And I kept thinking, well, God raised Lazarus from the dead. So I just started praying, God, please just give him back to me. Give him back to me. And I prayed over Chris and I realized it's God saying, no, you know, he wants Chris home. I got a revelation. God did heal Chris. He just didn't heal him on this side of heaven. He healed him on that side of heaven. So he got his healing we've been praying for. He got his miracle. And I knew he wasn't hurting anymore. He wasn't in pain. I just laid. They they took him out of the house. And I laid there where he laid. I was numb. I became a zombie. And I remember the word that God gave me. Endure. It kept coming back to my mind. Endure, endure. God sent me to Jeremiah. So I started reading the book and studying it all the way through from January until God took Chris. I just stayed in that book and just read and and saw how Jeremiah upheld. We went through different things. Jeremiah went because people wouldn't listen to him. But Jeremiah's he endured. And endurance is not a common quality in people. Yes. It's like going to the gym. You have to work on it. You have to build it up. And many, many people, they like long-term commitment, sticking with the task. Even me, we all do in different areas. So God was telling me to endure through this. And no matter what odds came against us, we were going to go through it. We're going to make it, you know. So Jeremiah is called by God to teach it taught him how intimately God knows us. And so when I was studying that and wrote that down from what Jeremiah did, God knows my heart. God saw my brokenness, what I was going through. So I know he was with me. Yes. And I just felt like the next month, days, weeks, months, even that whole year, I was a zombie. I got up and I just did what was routine. And I was a zombie. There was things I'm like, I don't remember doing, I couldn't remember doing things. I couldn't, I didn't remember people coming and visiting. I didn't remember what some people were saying to me. I just was zombie. And then I remember picking up the phone to call Chris. Like I forgot he was gone. And then I would wait and I'm like, okay. Cause he, his job kept him away from home for a couple of days. I'm like, and I remember waiting. Okay. He should be home by now. Cause I'm thinking he's just at work. It, it seemed unreal to me. Couldn't grasp the fact that he's gone forever I remember when I think it finally hit we had moved we moved from that home into a a different home me and my son did and that was hard to do because that's where we said our goodbye so we moved homes and I remember my son being at school and I canceled all my appointments from selling life insurance that day and I couldn't get out of bed I laid in bed and I hurt when you lose a spouse, when you become married, you become one. Yes. I laid there and I felt like someone just ripped half of my body off. There's no medicine. The doctor was wanting to put me, he was worried about me. He's wanting to put me on all these depression medicines. I said, no, no, this is a part of life. This, I have to feel this. Yeah. And I'll never forget, I can't remember his name, but he said that grief is a gift from God. We have to grieve to get those feelings out of us. Uh, our emotions are natural. Yes. But grief was never a part of God's plan. Sin caused grief. So when I was studying this, Eve 
sinned. When she sinned, she brought things that God never intended. When he first created us, he didn't create us to have to deal with grief. Grief came here because of pain of sin. It's not part of God's original plan for us. So grief is now a gift from God to help us to release all of that pain out, to get it out. Because if we hold on to it and we don't get it out, we don't feel those feelings. We don't overcome those feelings. That's when bitterness sets in. Yes. And I'll never forget when this is what God spoke to me. I have to feel these feelings. I have to navigate through this pain. I have to feel it and heal because if we don't heal, then that's when I remember when I was young, I chopped cotton. Okay. I wanted to earn money for school clothes. And when you chop cotton, you don't actually chop the cotton down. I don't know if you know that or not. I had to learn that lesson. No, I did not know that. (laughs) No, I chopped half of a roll down and here comes my boss screaming, what are you doing? And so she had to teach me, you don't chop the cotton. What you're doing is chopping the weeds out of the cotton. Okay. So there's these beautiful flowers called morning glories and they sprout up and they wrap around the stalks of the cotton. The morning glories are actually a weed to the cotton. It's a weed and it wraps around the cotton stalk and it suffocates it and kills it. And it'll spread when it comes up to one stalk of cotton, it'll spread down a whole roll of cotton and it can kill out the cotton. And then of course the farmer loses money. So we're out there chopping the weed to the root. And this is where God spoke to me. If we don't reach down in the root of our pain and pluck it up and deal with it then, and we just sugarcoat it and numb it and go on, that will wrap around our spirits and suffocate us and kill us spiritually, even physically. It can kill you. Yes. So I had to uproot that and I had to deal with it and I remember laying there in bed screaming because it hurt so bad and I I pictured myself on a battlefield in the dark with bombs going off and shooting screaming all around me with half of my body blown off because I no longer had my partner my spiritual partner the head of my home the head of me my covering he he wasn't there anymore God, how am I going to do this? How am I supposed to navigate through life with one arm and one leg on a battlefield? My other arm and leg you took from me. I don't have it anymore. And so I felt like I had to relearn how to navigate through life spiritually speaking to fight these battles and to raise a son on my own. Chris paid all the bills. He took care of everything. I didn't even know where to go pay a light bill. I had no idea. He took care of all the bills. I moved out of my family's home and married this man. So I went from my parents paying bills to my husband paying bills. And he took care of everything. I didn't even know where to pay the light bill. I didn't know what to do. So you was just having to having to learn how to just do all that adulting. I mean, you've obviously yeah. been adult, but but there's something about when you get out on your own and you don't have anybody else to depend yes. on. I never lived on my own. I never lived on my, I mean, I paid a car payment. The only bills that I had to take care of was the car, my car payment. And then I spent money on birthdays and Christmas gifts. Chris. All the way through, he worked up in, I mean, he, even when he was in hospice, he would not take his pain meds. He would drive to the college where he taught his students for paramedic school, 
just so he can be there for them in pain. He was set there and work even when he was on hospice. Goodness. And he did that. He took care of me. He took care of me. So I was like, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. How did you navigate through that? When no one was around, I cried. I cried. I let it all out. When I needed to scream, I screamed. And then I told God everything. I literally, if I was hurting, I was mad. I said, God, I'm really angry right now. And then he showed me warnings in the Bible. He brought his word that we don't need to envy the sinner because I'm like, there's people out there that don't even serve you and you healed them of cancer, but you took Chris. Yeah. I was feeling anger and I was like, I'm mad right now, God, I'm upset. You know, and that's a, that's an important thing you bring up that sometimes, and I don't know if this was in your situation, but I know I've had situations happen in my own life and I've gotten angry at God. Yes. And in Jeremiah, when I was studying it, he would get angry with God and he got tempted to give up. I'm ashamed to say this, but when I would get angry with God, I'm like, okay, God, you know what? I don't need ministry no more. I'm going to let my license go. I'm going to step down from the youth. I'm not going to be a youth pastor no more. You took my balance from me. I would get mad at him. Then, then I would cry. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, God. I didn't mean it. You know, yeah. <laughs> because I'm like, I was upset. Just like when you're married to your husband, you say things when you're upset, you don't mean them. Yes. I'm like, God, I didn't mean it. I'm so sorry. And God knows our heart. He knows I was angry. And Jeremiah learned that too. You know, he would get so mad at God and get tempted to give up, but he knew that he had to keep going. And I felt it in my spirit. When I was married to Chris, when I was weak, Chris was strong. When Chris was weak, I was strong. We encouraged each other. Yes. God stepped in. Yeah. He really did. He does that. And I felt him when I was weak, he became strong for me. And I would feel something well up inside of me. Keep going. Keep going. And the word endure just kept going over my mind. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I just kept pushing through. I was sitting in my living room one day. Another hard day there. It, I had days where I couldn't leave the house. The curtains were pulled. Dawson was at school and I sat there. I was crying again. And this is where God spoke to me about brokenness is there was a little bitty crack in the window and light was coming through and it was all dark. And I felt the Lord speak to me the day that even though I'm in my darkest hour, I mean, it was a dark time for me. God's light broke and destroyed that darkness. So as long as I held on to God and trusted in him, like I've never trusted before. I mean, my trust level through the years of Chris, I can say that looking back when I first got into church, when I was 16 years old to now, you really learn to trust in God. Yeah, God will take you down paths that that most people haven't been down. And when you go down paths like that, you learn to lean on him completely. Yeah. Now, was there... Was there a point after, because uh, I know you said for a year you was like a zombie after Chris yeah. passed away. Was there a point where it just felt like you kind of turned a corner and it finally felt like a there's a brighter day? Yes. And it was that day in the living room when I saw the sunlight breaking through the window into the dark room. And it was just like a beam. And I'm like, okay, Laura, it's time. You've got to pick yourself up. You got to keep going. And I remember that was one of the things that when I was studying the book of Jeremiah, that Jeremiah did. And I remember writing this down that God had called him to endure. And God called me at the very beginning of the year before he even took Chris. God called me to endure. And I remember writing that down. And then the fact that Jeremiah expressed intense feelings 
but he also saw beyond the feelings to the God who was soon to execute justice for his people. And then he administered mercy. So I'm like, okay, God, if you did that for Jeremiah, you see the pain I'm going through. You see the darkness that surrounds me. So I know that you're going to bring me through this and you're going to heal me. So the next year after that year, that's when I prayed for another word. And this is, this is what he gave me. the word restoration. And he sent me to the book of Ruth. It, the book of Ruth, a lot of people think, oh, it's about love and God's going to bring your Boaz. Oh, no, 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 no. I learned so many lessons in the book of Ruth and what God has for restoration. Yes. And I love the book of Ruth. Yes. And God put me in a field and he took me to a place and he started piecing me back together, piece by piece by piece. And and it really is. It takes time and you just really being consumed in in the word of God with Sister Magruder standing on the word. I remember one day I was hurting so bad. I took the word of God. I opened it up and I laid it over my heart and I said, God, I'm going to, I need your word to saturate my heart and heal me. And he has, he has, I know I'm getting emotional talking about it now, but he has restored my joy. He's restored peace. He supplies every need that I ever had. Yes. And God just opens doors and he provides. When you lose someone, and I learned this too, people will come and say, you're young. God has somebody else for you. He'll send someone to you or you'll get through this. If you've never lost a spouse, I know they meant well to comfort me, but those were horrible things to say. Yes. If there's one thing I've learned, it's I'm going to listen to God and not allow other people's words to affect my life. You have to kind of grow a deaf ear. I'm not calling them the enemy, yeah. but the enemy can take anybody's words and twist them to hurt you. Yes, exactly. Pull you back down. Yeah. When I'm hurting, I go to God and I tell God, this is how I feel. Can you help me with this? Right. So, so you bring us to a, to a great segue as we get ready to close. Yes. I would like you to just speak to that person out there that's going through through the situation. Maybe their spouse is very sick or maybe they've just lost their spouse. Speak to them. Just talk to them right now. I want to encourage a man or woman, if you are the caretaker of a sick spouse, don't let a day go by. Overuse the word, I love you. You can't say it enough. You know, when you're taking care of someone sick, sometimes they're, they're hurting. So on those bad days where they have you stressed out, they're pushing you to your limits and you're taking care of everything by yourself and just try to be understanding. Don't, don't get sharp with them, with your words, just do your best and, and love on them. I can't, I can't really stress that enough. Love on them. Every good word that you can think of, tell them every day, express all of your love to them in words. Tell them how much they mean to you, how much you love them, how much they've impacted your life. Just just tell them everything and spend every single moment with them. And then for those who've lost your spouse, my heart really goes out to you. But I will say this with God and with time, you can face another day. You can get back to life again. God will heal you, but I will say this, have a great relationship with your pastor and your pastor's wife. 
call them. My pastor, my pastor's wife was there from the very beginning and they're still there for me today. I can call in the middle of the night, tell them I'm hurting so bad, please pray. And then they'll be praying for you. I literally felt the prayers of the people covering me some days I hurt so bad. So just tell God how you feel, let it out. I'm not a doctor, but from personal experience and from my own what I feel, I would discourage any type of medication when you're grieving like that, because you need to feel grief. Grief is a gift. Just bury yourself in the word of God every single day and pray throughout every day. That's, that's really, um, that's what got me through. Talk about them. If you are friends with someone who lost a loved one, share stories, funny stories, memories. Don't be afraid to talk about the one who passed away. Don't, because I love it. I love it when people come to me and say, hey, you remember when Chris did this? I love hearing stories about Chris. I love hearing people talk about Chris. Don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid to do that. So that would be the advice I would I would give to those listening. All right, man, I am so touched by this. I, I really appreciate you coming on here and sharing your story. I mean, there was places I was just moved to tears and could just feel the, I, I don't even know how to describe it. I had chills at one point and tearing up the next and <laughs> such a powerful story. And I know this will really help so many out there that are going through this, that thinks that they're the only one or thinks that nobody else can even imagine. Because yes, there are people that have been through that, down that path and through it and in the middle of it and even on the other side of it. So, right. Yes. Right. So thank you so much for, again, for coming on the real talk Two Thirty Eight podcast. It was such a joy to speak with you and, and actually you did most of the talking. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate it. And thank you again. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Real Talk 238 podcast for this week's episode. If you have enjoyed this episode of the Real Talk 238 podcast, please subscribe so you will be notified when new episodes are released. If you would like to leave a comment, or there is a topic you would like discussed on the Real Talk 238 podcast, you can drop an email at therealtalk238 at gmail.com. You can also find the Real Talk 238 podcast on Facebook and Instagram listed as at the Real Talk 238. As a reminder, the Real Talk 238 podcast is not a substitute, nor does it replace therapy. Always seek the advice of your physician or a qualified licensed mental health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or mental health disorder. Until next time, have a blessed day.